and welcome back to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz, and this is a Strange New Worlds debriefing. On this show, we're going to review the latest episode of Strange New Worlds and follow that up with a very special interview. And this week on the Strange New Worlds debriefing, we're talking about episode 4 of Strange New Worlds season 2, Among the Lotus Eaters. And later on, we're going to be chatting with a very, very special guest. We're going to have Melissa Navia here. That's right, Erica Ortega herself will be joining us on Trek Untold to talk about this episode, as well as some other future things coming up in Strange New Worlds. But first things first, let's just jump into Among the Lotus Eaters here, and let's talk about this episode. And this is really, to me, it feels like just classic Star Trek. Like, this feels like original series Star Trek. Even from the title alone, it's just very evocative, like that classic 60s sci-fi and the way the story went and everything, it was just like the perfect time capsule for that period of science fiction, but also bringing it into contemporary times. The title of the episode, Among the Lotus Eaters, is, I believe, a reference to uh, the Odyssey. And that would be the Lotus Eaters there that they run into, which are a group of people that live on an island that are eating this lotus plant, and in doing so, it causes them to forget. And that is the crux of this episode here, where an away team goes down to a certain planet to do some research, whatever, and unfortunately they discover that the radiation from this planet is causing the inhabitants to be very forgetful. And who is the person leading these people on this radioactive planet here? Well, as it turns out, it was a member of Pike's crew from a certain episode way back in the beginning of Star Trek. That's right, we're going back to the cage here, the original pilot. We're talking about a crew member who they thought was killed in action, but as it turns out, survived and became the leader of this very, very forgetful group of people. So the premise, again, it just feels like it's pulled right out of the 60s, and I'm fine with that. I like that they're doing that. I like that they're continuing to harken back to the roots of Star Trek here, but they're doing it in a very contemporary and a very modern way. But what's really important here to note is that the way this episode begins is through the perspective of Erica Ortegas, the pilot of the Enterprise here. And, you know, they kind of gave us a little bit of a tease, I will say, because, you know, we were kind of believing this was going to be a very much Erica Ortega-centric episode, and it was, I just presumed she'd actually be part of the away team on the planet doing stuff. But no, as it turns out, she ends up not being able to join the away team, and she is essentially stuck on the Enterprise piling it to make sure that they don't crash and die. But problems continue as the radiation from that planet leaks into the Enterprise itself and causes everybody aboard the ship to forget who they are. And that's where Erica Ortegas comes to save the day. That's where she's able to remind herself who she is, take control of the ship, get him out of there, and be the one who is the hero of Among the Lotus Eaters. For the most part, what we've seen Erica Ortega's, she's been really kind of like a jokester, or she's been piloting the ship. Really, you know, not too much beyond that. But I know fans love her, I love her, uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that, because she's just such a cool-headed character. But the nice thing about seeing her in Among the Lotus Eaters is that we got to see a lot more of who she is, and also, in a way, kind of her coming to terms, I think, with who she is and what her role is in the Enterprise. Because she's a person who kind of wants to go, not necessarily above her station, but she wants to be involved in other things. She wants to have her time on an away mission. She doesn't just want to be stuck in the hot seat all the time, flying the ship. She wants to do other things, and one part of that might be that Erica wants to prove herself, but another part of it is that I think it's just kind of the person that the character is. She's got an adventurous heart and wants to live out there and be among the stars and essentially checking out strange new worlds. So this episode addresses that, and I think also kind of cements her importance among the crew and what she does, as well as giving her more confidence. And not that Erica Ortega needs more confidence, she definitely has that. But sometimes every now and then you just need to hear a good word, or you just need to be reminded of who you are and why you do something. And I think this is what Erica needed to get that off her chest and just feel like who she is mattered. And I think that's a sentiment a lot of us have experienced here. And especially, you know, I think the scene with her having that big pack attack in her room, in her quarters, that one to me was a real heavy hitter 
because that reflects, I think, a lot of how we view ourselves. If someone's depressed or anxious, it's not unusual for us to have our own imposter syndrome, and that's essentially what she was going through and addressing in a very truncated sci-fi kind of way. And self-perspective, I think, is a real key to this episode here, because if we then go back to the planet where all this action is happening here, you know, we're meeting some of the locals there, and they're talking about living in the moment and being part of the moment and that kind of thing, and being present, but also ultimately having to come to terms with addressing the past so that you can live in the moment and also live ahead. Because yes, it's one thing to live in the moment, but not think about the consequences or think about what could happen in front of you. It's another to actually take it all in, look at it as a whole, and get a true 360 degrees of perspective with your life. Now, of course, none of us can see the future, but acknowledging the past and dealing with it does help us to move forward. So I think that the message is very powerful, albeit it might be a little bit mixed up in the sci-fi metaphors here, but I do think it's still a very powerful episode for that. And again, we got to see Melissa Navia in action, which was really, really cool to finally see an episode all about her. But I say that with an asterisk because, yes, this was more of a Pike episode as well as a Benga and Alon episode again, but really, at the end of the day, it was an Ortega's episode. But we all want more from Erica Ortega's, and I know that for a fact. So, hey, fingers crossed there's more to come, and, uh, well, considering who our special guest is, she might have some insight on that. So that's my thoughts on this episode here, but I'd love to hear what you think about Among the Lotus Eaters. So if you're following me on social media, hit me up on Twitter, on Facebook, or on Instagram. Let me know what you think about it. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, go ahead and write down in the comments below, and let's keep the conversation going Warp Factor 10. Well, maybe not 10. I don't want us all to become salamanders, but let's keep it going. You guys know what I mean. And let's keep this episode going right now, too, because it's time for our special guest to beam aboard. So without further ado, let's talk to Erica Ortegas herself. Let's bring in Melissa Navia. Computer, access interview file. Melissa Navia, welcome to Trek Untold. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. I am beyond excited to have you here. Uh, you know, I think of all the characters in Strange New Worlds, fans were the most bothered by the fact that there wasn't an Ortega's focused episode. <laughs> and now you got one. So number one, congrats to you. Thank uh, you. And number two, were you surprised by how much fans rallied around your character and wanted to hear more about who Ortega's is? So it's funny. Was I surprised? I think because I put so much into into Ortega's in season one, I felt like there was so much of her throughout the whole season. Do you know? I'm like every episode, she was an integral part because she flies the ship. You know, she's the helmsman of the enterprise, but I completely understood what fans were saying where they wanted the backstory that we, we just didn't have time to get to. And, and what I keep saying is when you have an ensemble cast like ours, where you're, dealing with legacy characters and also new characters and they really are written so well and, and, and the, the cast really works so well together as a crew that you feel from, I think from season one, episode one, you feel like, you know, is a, is, is a crew that you want to be part of and that has been a crew and it just feels so lived in. Like I understood from a writing perspective, why there just wasn't room for, for more of that backstory, but seeing the fan reaction, I was like, that's awesome. You know, there's nothing that you want more than to know from from fans that we want more of this character. You know, I've seen plenty of times in other TV shows where people were like, let's not have more of that character. Let's can we be done with that character? So this is the opposite problem to have. And and what I said to fans and what I keep saying to them is there's always been uh, a backstory. And I think that's what makes all of our characters so rich is is that the showrunners and the writers are fans of Star Trek and they are really invested in, you know, a really huge arc, you know? So at no point is any of this two dimensional. So that backstory has always been there. We just, 
you know, needed a little bit of patience to get there. And I'm definitely not patient. So I, I get where the fans are coming from. Yeah, we're not patient either. We want it all and we want it right now. <laughs> right. More than 10 episodes. Everyone's also also saying, oh, is it, we want more than 10 episodes. I'm like, 10 episodes take so long. And that's why they all look so good. They're like 10 mini movies. So 10 episodes is good for me in a season. But I, I get what the fans are saying. We want more and more and more. It's just it's totally, I get you. I don't know how deep into the Trekdom world you are as a fan, um, but you know a lot of things that people enjoy about Stranger Worlds is how there's so many elements of classic Trek in it. There's elements from the original series, there's elements from the 90s and early 2000s, uh, and, and a lot of folks also believe that some of the characters have pulled traits from the more popular characters too. Uh, and I've seen a lot of folks talk about how Ortega's is kind of like similar to Kira Norris from DS9. Yes. In a good way too, that's a good thing. So I'm just curious if you heard that one before and if you had any thoughts on that. Oh my goodness, I have heard that. And so my my late partner used to tell me that because he was watching DS9. He was watching that like while I was waiting to find out if I'd booked Strange New Worlds. Um, and I actually spoke with her. Oh, nice. Just the other day, like literally like two days ago. And it was it was really cool. And it was like one of those moments where you're just like, is this happening? It was kind of like when I met uh, when I met um, Jonathan Frakes. Uh, and he was directing one of our episodes. So, uh, yeah, I've absolutely gotten that. And 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 I couldn't be um, more honored to have a have a comparison uh, like such a character. And she was saying, too, that she feels like it's it's an evolution of that character and that we are we are definitely connected. And, um, yeah, like you said, like Strange New Worlds has kind of the best of all the Star Treks, I feel I'm biased because it's my show, but, um, you know, it has that nostalgia. It has stories that we know stories that we want to know more about and stories that have yet to be told. Um, and we're doing it in a adventure every week format that's still serialized in some way. And so we have old fans and new fans and, um, it's just kind of, you know, the best of everything, but, uh, but yeah, Kira and, and Eric are definitely, uh, are definitely connected through the, through the Star Trek iterations. I'm glad to hear you feel the same way. So happy to hear that, actually. Yeah, because I'm a big Nana Visitor fan also. And Kira is like one of my favorites of all time. And it's no wonder people flock to Ortega's also because there is that, that's so much of that same kind of vibe and energy. So uh, yeah, that's and, really and cool talking and speaking with Nana, like she was just it was like we were we've always known each other. Like it was just very cool. Like next time in, I'm, I'm in L.A., like we're going to hang out <laughs> like this is so <laughs> wild. So yeah. Um, so yeah, no, very, very cool. So as the pilot of the Enterprise, I'm always curious about this because I don't know, you know, when you're sitting in the chair looking ahead, I don't really know what you're looking at. There isn't much to see there, I imagine, besides like a bunch of PAs and some gaffers and a camera person, most likely. Uh, so, you know, I know there's not much to look at, but I'm curious about your hands. Have you like made any conscious decisions about what your fingers and hands are doing in your control panel now? Yes, absolutely. Like, so what we're looking at, we can, it depends on on what's happening and where the cameras are set up. Sometimes we're looking at, you know, a sea of, of bright blue other times we're looking at many cameras, we're looking at, at you know, giant disco balls that are reflecting lights and, and all sorts of things. But um, for me, I always have to, I'm looking at what we're supposed to be looking at, you know, I'm creating that. I'm, I come from a theater background and if it's not real for me in front of me, then it's not, it's not happening. So uh, in terms of my hands, like season one, I, you know, I spoke about it a bunch where I felt like I need to know what I'm doing in order for this to look real. And so when I heard from fans, watching season one that it felt like she was flying the ship and you know the ship was banking this way and she was moving like the ship was banking that way i'm like job done you know i kind of had one job and that's what i'm i'm out here to do so uh the the tricky thing for me is that there's not too many like actual levers and dials you know um and physical things to 
to push and press. Like the episode in season one where we, where we, um, what do we do? We we take over the pirate ship, you know, mm-hmm. like that. I kind of dug because I actually had you know things to to pull and to push <laughs> and to, um, you know, Pike was actually like the the captain of the pirate ship. Right. Um, but but on our helmets, it's it's like a touchscreen. And it's not interactive, even though I keep saying maybe one season when we have more money, it will become interactive. Um, <laughs> and so I kind of, I kind of worked out, you know, ways to go to warp and, and when evasive maneuvers happen, um, and things that to me are very real. And then if it, if I feel that they're real and I then am connecting what's happening with the ship, what's happening with my hands to what's happening with the ship, then it will translate to the audience. And, and I believe that's been, that's been happening. And it's also, Thanks in 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 such large part to the our graphics team um, and everybody really like the our directors uh, everyone who I'm just like explain to me what's happening explain to me how the ship is coming about this you know this either this this other ship that we're seeing or is it the planet we're coming around or the black hole that we're you know we're 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 we're, we're going to sneak up on you know I need to kind of see it almost as if we're going to war. Um, so it feels very much almost like we're strategizing, like it's like we're, you know, or like, I guess, what's another analogy, like, you know, like we're playing a game, like it's, a, it's, a, it's like in sports, you know, where they, they yeah. map it out for you. Um, and I see it and, and my cast is really, they've all done a fantastic job of, of, you know, sometimes a director will, will say, you know, okay, this is going to happen. And so we're all going to do that. And everybody will be like, but what direction is it coming in? What is the velocity? You know, is it this big? Is it that big? Should we all be? So we're, we're all asking those questions now to make sure that it is as real as possible. Like if we're all going to be, you know, thrown to the right, what is it that's throwing us to the right? So I feel like it's team effort. Now let's jump into the Lotus Eaters right now. And uh, this is it's a really fun episode also. And a lot of great stuff happens this one, of course, being that it's an Ortega's episode. Uh, and, you know, I want to talk about as we get closer to the end of the episode here, because that's when things start to get really intense. Once all the characters are losing their memory. And to me, like the moment that stands out is the idea of Ortegas having this panic attack and you yeah, having to act yeah. out this panic attack, which, you know, watching it practically gave me one. Uh, so I'm oh, just curious, wow. like it was pretty intense for me. I mean, I'm just wondering, you know, how it was for you actually performing that. It was also intense. I don't know if I was I wasn't thinking about the fact that I could induce panic attacks in other people, but I'm glad job you're well okay. <laughs> yes. Job well done. I have one job here. Um, yeah, it was very panic attacky it was very like i was going to a very vulnerable place and uh it's it's a moment of absolute desperation and what i've been saying is is one of the great things about season one is you know the little that we knew about ortegas was her job as a pilot right so it's it really is everything we know about her is her career that's that's what makes her who she is and suddenly to have that taken away it's almost like you don't exist and so what I kind of went to was one, an absolute, like it is the worst thing that can happen, especially when you know that there's some sort of crisis happening. And unless you can figure out who you are and what you're supposed to do, this could be the end. So what I kept thinking about is like, what does it mean when you forget how to do what you know you should be able to do well, right? And I feel like that's something that so many of us can relate to. This idea that, you know, when 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 we are called upon to to do something that only we can do. How often do we feel like imposters? How often do we feel like, you know, ask somebody else? How often do we feel, you know, I I am not up to the job. And so in that moment, I think Erica kind of is the audience where she's like, whatever it is that I'm supposed to do, that's a part of me that is, you know, is, is what, what I love doing and what makes me tick that I cannot forget about it's within me. And so she kind of summons that up in a moment of, 
of a panic attack. Um, and she has to pull herself together and do what only she can do. But I have to say there's like some real power in this episode for your character. Uh, and I feel like especially as you're repeating your character's identity, you know, I'm Erica Ortega, so I'm the pilot of the Enterprise. Uh, for you, did those words uh, or the feelings of those words resonate with you in any kind of way? As an actor, as Melissa, you know, just uh, hearing as the character, Melissa. you know, repeat themselves and who they are. I mean, if that meant anything to you. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, because it's it's like from from the moment that I booked the role, I was just like, I I play the woman who flies the USS Enterprise, do you know? Like it's the kind of thing that you can go around and anybody who who is anybody knows Star Trek, right? Even if they're not a Trekkie, even if they're not a huge fan, you know the Enterprise. You know, so when I remember when I was telling people, you know, oh, you know, when I could finally announce that I'd book the role, they'd be like, oh, who do you play? And I'm like, oh, the helmsman, I fly the Enterprise. And it would be like people turn around and everyone knows who that is. And so to have this great episode where she's just like, I fly the ship. Um, and she's saying her name over and over again, which is a name that to me is special for so many reasons. You know, she is Latina. I am as well. But also the the name uh, is a callback to a character that Gene Roddenberry created for the pilot, uh, Jose Ortegas, and that never made it to screen and became somebody else. And so for me, it's always I always go back to, you know, I feel like my job was many decades in the making. You know, it was waiting for me since the 60s and I've been able to to bring it to screen. Uh, it's Erica now and not Jose, but uh, still still the, the spirit of that character and what Gene Roddenberry was was looking for is there. And I I. Uh, I hold that very close to me. Absolutely. And I got to tell you, I really have enjoyed your scenes, not just in that episode, but with really the entire last two seasons, uh, all of your scenes with Ethan Peck, but especially in the Lotus Eaters, because I just love this like kind of sibling rivalry that it almost yes, feels like your characters yes. have the way you yes. tease Spock and everything. I mean, it, I got to ask you just about Ethan also, because I just I love his work as Spock. Uh, is he the kind of actor you just have a hard time staying in character with and not breaking out laughing all the time? It's so funny. Ethan is so not Spock. And so the fact that he's doing this amazing job as Spock and he's just such a, a lovable energy on set. Uh, just, the, just the light is how I describe him. It's just like, he's saying, you know, just, just full of, of light and energy. And he's always there to kind of give you what you need. Uh, and he makes you laugh. And he, uh, we you know we posted for one of the, the episodes recently, like a behind the scenes shot of the, of the cast in the transporter room. And uh, everybody, like I had family members like messaging me. They're like, look at Ethan's expression. Look at Spock's expression where he's like, you know, he's just like the jokester. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, that's Ethan. That's Ethan. And then he'll go right into being Spock. But I love in this episode that uh, I get this scene with him alone on the bridge because you always have that sibling rivalry. And so it, oh, so it, it sometimes can seem like, you know, does, does Ortegas even like Spock? And it's like, she absolutely does. Like she really respects and, and, likes everyone in her crew because she knows that they're the best at their job um, and they do things that she cannot do, which is necessary for, for a crew and a team to exist. Uh, but she just does things differently than he does. So we always see it kind of in, like you said, like a sibling rivalry type way. And uh, and here's this moment where they have to work together to, to save everyone. So I definitely hope that she gets more scenes uh, with Spock where we kind of see them finally see it more eye to eye on situations. And, you know, one of the other new members to come aboard the Enterprise this season is Carol Kane. And I've got yes. to ask you, I mean, how have you enjoyed your time working with her? That that smile alone says everything, I think. Yeah, she. I still remember her first um, her first scene where I'm at the helm and she's she's walking through and she's just. I mean, you just become riveted, you know, and I'm sitting at the helm and there's so much of it where 
I think there was probably even more to it than 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 you see. Like, there's so many things that we shot that have did not make it into these ten episodes, you know, because there's no room for it. But I'm like, ah, I'm like, if only everybody knew we then did this and we did then did that. But that scene where she's walking in and talking about things, and then and then she knows what we're up to, you know, I'm just I'm lost in it. And then like it would be time for my line, and I would just not do it because I'm just lost in Carol Kane. And then she would do this funny thing where she kept she kept turning to Celia as the helm, like in the scene where she's like helm and she'd go to Celia and we'd all just be kind of riveted and they'd be like, Carol over here, I'm helm. I'm helm. <laughs> and then she would deliver the lines to me and I'm still kind of like, and just like transfixed by this new character that we are now blessed to have on our crew. So yeah. So it was a blast to work with her. It was cool seeing her and Rebecca and Anson, you know, just, just, uh, just laugh and have a great time together. So she's a great addition uh, to the crew and, and I'm excited to fa- for fans to see what, what she has in store for us. I mean, I'm really hoping Ortega's and Pele can go on a way mission together. I think that'd be a ton of fun. Right? Ah, <laughs> I'll say nothing. <laughs> All right, we'll keep it at that. But uh, if you don't mind, I actually want to backtrack to season one for a second. And I want to ask you about the Elysian Kingdom. Uh, you know, I spoke with Bruce Horak a little while ago, and he called that like his favorite episode of the season that he did. And it looked, looked like there were so many hijinks between everybody, especially you and Anson Mount. Uh, so I'd love to hear just, you know, what, what didn't make it on the cutting room floor of that episode? Oh, man. So... The Elysian Kingdom was such a special episode. I love it for so many reasons. I season one, it was definitely, you know, the biggest episode where you you got to see Ortegas and you weren't even really seeing her so much as you were seeing Sir Adia, um, which is this alter ego where she gets to play a knight in shining armor. And I'm like, that's awesome. Or, sh- or shiny leather, I guess. Um, but I was just like, it was it was a dream for me as an actor, because I'm like, not only do I get this awesome role as a helmsman, now they're also making me a knight and you know, how did they know that was like a dream of mine? Um, and it was, it was I, the episode I got to spend the most time with Babs, you know, and I'm, I'm his right hand soldier man. Uh, and I got to spend the most time with, with Bruce as Hammer, which I loved because we shot that episode right before things got crazy later on. But uh, he was just such a delight to work with and alongside. And Anson is not only incredible as Captain Pike, but just so funny. And his improv was just, whew. I mean, I mean, he improv like no other. So I'm sure there's plenty of behind the scenes things. I haven't seen any of the behind the scenes footage from the DVD. Um, but he, he just had so much that I'm sure couldn't make it in. And, you know, he just totally took up the, the job of being, you know, this, this other character and, and made it his own. And, uh, it was just wonderful to, to, to play off of him. Like we had a great scene where we're climbing up the Jeffrey's tube and it's, it's me, it's Anson, it's Ethan and it's Babs. And we kept shooting this and we had, Ethan had, uh, Ethan had the wizard, uh, the wizard staff and I had the sword and we all had our things and we had to keep shooting it over and over again. And at one point Anson's coming up the, 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 the ladder and he goes, it's a one hour show. It's a one (laughs) hour show. And he was like, it's going to be cut. And I'm like, I'm like, but this is such a great scene. It's so funny. We're all climbing up. They cut it. He was right. That is why they pay him the big bucks. Um, but yeah, no, it was a blast. And uh, I was so happy I got to spend so much time with Bruce for sure. Now, I saw a little while ago on your Instagram that you've been picking up the IDW Strange New Worlds comics, the Illyrian Enigma. And I got to ask you, like, are you enjoying seeing yourself in a comic book? Because that has to be the most surreal thing outside of its being in Star Trek. It's crazy. Like what they don't tell you or i mean who's who's going to tell you because you don't ask but like you know it's just that so much that happens outside of you know acting on the show right so it's like you know i've i've 
been recently having conversations with astronauts and with scientists and with, you know, people who are helping us get to the moon next year. And just there's there's so many uh, there's so many avenues that the platform of Star Trek takes you on. Right. Because Star Trek is, is, is a part of of who we are really at this point, you know, because it's just, just this cultural phenomenon for sure. But the comic thing, when I saw it and I was just like, wow, I'm on the cover of a comic. And then like, you know, a couple of days, every couple of days, somebody else is telling me, I'm like, wow, that's crazy. You know, like I used to go, the only comics I collected, this is going to sound weird, but I'm going to tell you this. So do you remember a long, long time ago, Hercules Legendary Journeys? Of course I do. So I was a big fan of that show as a kid. And I would go like after like swim practice, I would go to a comic book store and I would get like the first issues. And I'm like, I don't know if anyone still has them or what they, but I, those are the ones that I got. And so I have them and I didn't take them out of the sleeves or whatever. And so I was thinking about that and I'm like, that's wild. And so I called some comic book stores cause they were sold out. And I'm like, do you have this comic? And then fans were like, I mentioned it to on somewhere on social media and they were like, did you say who you were? And I was like, Oh, I didn't want to be weird. And they were like, we're sold out. And I'm like, okay, good. So, but I finally got some copies. So, but yeah, it is wild. Yeah. And just one last question too, as a, as a little follow-up to that, you know, uh, and to get extra nerdy here, since we're talking comics in issue two, you have the con and Ortegas gets to sit in the captain's chair. And I'm curious in real life, and I don't believe you've done it on the show yet, but has Melissa Navia tried out the captain's chair? Um, I absolutely have, but I did do it on the show. Season one, episode one. Okay, thank and you for reminding me about that. She had, but the funny thing about that is that scene was I don't know if we've ever spoken about this, but that scene is added was added like at the end of end of shooting, um, and so and so that to me was very cool because I'm like I wondered I'm like did they just see you know Ortega's throughout the season they were like you know what would be cool if we put her in the captain's chair um, because I still have my story for her is still that she very much is in every respect she's a pilot you know she's a maverick you know she's she loves flying the ship and she loves also being able to like at the end of the day kind of just you know go do her thing and to be a captain is is something else entirely um and so i don't know are we going to see her grow into that or is she gonna is she gonna you know take off and do something else or you know is is we that's one of the cool things about her right is that she's not a legacy character and we don't see her on tos so what becomes of her um but definitely the the the, the captain's chair in season one i i was happy to be there weird thing about it though was sitting there and then seeing actors sitting at the helm and that for me, cause then they were touching things. Cause there are some buttons that you can press on the side and they were clicking things and every, and I'm sitting there and my like perfectionist Virgo self is like, you don't touch those buttons. They're the way they're supposed to be, but I'm sitting there trying to be all captain like. So yeah. So I hope, I hope that we get to see Ortega's, you know, in those positions more, but, uh, but as a character, I'm curious, you know, where they take, take her you know is is that in her future we shall see well no matter what i know fans are going to be behind ortegas in any venture that she goes through so melissa thank you so much for your time today uh it's been a pleasure thank you matthew i look forward to to hearing the podcast that's it for this week's episode of trek untold and our strange new worlds debriefing thank you so much for checking this out i'd love to hear what you think about this and what you think about this format i'd love to do more reviews like this so if you guys are liking this let me know and the best way to do that is to hit me up on social media and of course also to follow me there too. And that's at Instagram, at Twitter, Facebook, and yes, even TikTok, all at Trek Untold. If you're watching this on YouTube too, don't forget to leave a comment and a thumbs up on this video. And hey, don't forget to subscribe either. And that's youtube.com slash at Trek Untold. If you'd like to support this podcast, go ahead and visit patreon.com slash Trek Untold. And you can see some of the different ways that you can support this very show. 
I'm Matthew Kaplowitz. This has been Trek Untold. We will see you next time. And as always, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by Treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.